Take your Bible and join me in 1 John chapter 2, and let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read it together. 1 John chapter 2, we begin reading with verse 15. I'll give you a moment to find that text. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. We'll be reading 15, 16, and 17. Follow along. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. May God bless our reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, last week, as we considered the previous verses, we found that what the Apostle John is doing is he's turning aside. He, he detours a little bit from what is his primary objective, and in that detour, he somewhat digresses, leaves the subject a bit. And there, he gives words of encouragement, words of comfort. Words of assurance. While he continues in this digression, in this text, he's not giving words of comfort, but he's giving a word of command. He's giving an exhortation, whereas he had been giving encouragement. And this exhortation is found in verse 15 by giving us this word In the very first verse, the very first phrase, he is exhorting us by directly issuing a command. He puts it right at the beginning so that we can't miss this. This is what he has to say to us. Do not love the world. May is the Greek negative Do not. And it's first. It's in its priority position, telling us that that is what he wants us to get. Do not love the world. The Greek word here is agapeo. We often hear that agape is a word of Christian love. In fact, some people say that when it's used in a context of Christian experience, it means to love with supreme love. And that when it's used in secular context, it means to fancy something. But that's not true. It means the same thing in both contexts. The word agapeo always means a superior or a supreme love. It is a love of complete, total sacrifice. And here what the apostle tells us to do is to not love with supreme, total sacrifice the world. That in and of itself is a little bit of an unusual commandment because we are instructed to love this world. 
this created order. For God so loved, what? The world, same word, cosmos. But John uses, and the New Testament uses, the word world in three different ways. In one sense, the word world can refer to the universe. God created this world. Clearly, clearly, John is not instructing us to hate or not love the created order. All of these things as God created them, he saw they were good. And so there's not an instruction here not to love the created order. Sometimes this word cosmos is used in relationship to the people of this world. And clearly, John is not telling us not to love the people of this world. God loves the people of this world. There's a third sense in which this word world is used, and that is in relationship to the governing mind or the strategy of this world. This governing mind, if you would, could speak of our culture. And the strategy of this world is in hostile opposition to God. It is that aspect of world that we are not to be in love with. <laughs> I, I uh, frankly, I don't like shows that come from those channels like HGTV. I, I just, I, I just don't. They, 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 they go over the top with me. I, I know what construction's like, and. And there's not anything about construction that's attractive or appealing. And yet these people who do these shows never have a drop of dust on them. And we're to believe they're actually doing this work. Every now and then the camera pans and you see there's a crew out there doing the work and they're doing the show. But what really aggravates me about these shows is how frequently people say, I love this. I love this space. <laughs> I don't love any space. We just throw that word around. We love particular flavors. There's a distinction, folks. There's a distinction here. We're talking about love, this word agapeo. It doesn't have anything to do with preference. It doesn't have anything to do with affirming something. It has everything to do with how we spend our lives. What is it that we cash in our time with? What, how is it that we exchange our thoughts? What is it we're spending our life on. Those are the things that we love. And what John says is do not love the overruling order of this world. And the reason is clear. The order of this world is in conflict. In fact, it stands 
in direct opposition to God. The world is an evil, organized system ruled by Satan, controlled by his power, and it has aligned itself against God and against his kingdom. If you want to know why the world is in the condition it is in today, I'll tell you. It's in the same condition it has been in since Adam and Eve sought to do something and did something that was out of the will of God. The appeal of this world's order was too great for them and they surrendered their lives. They gave their supreme love to this world. John not only exhorts us by issuing a command, he also exhorts us by providing a clarification. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, he's been completely inclusive in this command. Don't love the world or the things in the world. That's about as complete as it can be. And again, we're talking about the evil order of this world. Now, here he tells us that this, the things of this world consist of these items. What we have here are three things, the desires of the flesh. You see that? The word desires there is epithemia. It's translated frequently in the New Testament, lusts. Epithemia, desires, is a neutral word. Sometimes in the New Testament it is used positively. Like when Paul says, I desire with a deep desire to visit you. But more often, far more often in the New Testament, this word is used in a negative context, as it is here. He describes the things of this world under the total category of the desires of the flesh. Now, I want you to understand things clearly. Because there is a uniformity in the theology of the New Testament writers. They're not, this guy has this idea, this guy has this idea, and these ideas may stand in contrast to each other. No, they have one theology. They have one theology. And James explains this to us. He tells us that we, we sin when lust desires have conceived within us and they birth within us as actions and then he tells us the birthing of these actions results in our death exactly what John is saying in this context these desires of the flesh manifest themselves in two ways and that's what the next two in this are this is one thing all of the things of this world 
are caught up in this phrase, the lusts, the desires of the flesh. Folks, if we don't have any desire for the things of this world, then the things of this world are no temptation to us. However, we exist fallen creatures. I want you to understand that. You are a fallen creature. You have been redeemed by the grace of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, but you still live in fallen, sinful flesh. That's the same word that's here, the Greek word sarks. And flesh is neutral. We're not told to not love our bodies. We're told we will love our bodies, but it is the aspect of humanity that craves and wants the fulfillment of its natural pursuits, its natural passions, over and against the will of God that makes up this world. I want what I want regardless of what God wants. And under that, he describes two other aspects, the desires of the eyes, the lusts of the eyes. Now this idea is simple. We understand that eyes are precious things. You're, you're not told not to love your eyes. Love your eyes. They are like the gateway of the soul. Love your eyes. God's given them to you, and with those eyes we observe the beauty of this world. But it is also with those eyes that we observe, we take in data that in and of itself appeals to the desires of our flesh. And he tells us this, this is what the world, we're living in a constant world where we are bombarded with the visual. And the visual is not neutral. The visual has an objective. A lot of times we, we don't see it. But the next time you happen to be somewhere where there's a magazine, just open the magazine, look at it, and ask yourself, what is this saying to me? Without reading a word, look at the pictures. What are these pictures saying to me? Are they saying to me, come out from among them and be ye holy, says the Lord? Or are they saying something quite contrary to that? You'll know. We have to put a filter, not on our eyes, but on our minds. We can't always guard what enters our eyes. We can at times, certainly. We can't always. But there is a place we can put a filter. And that filter is on the mind. Ask yourself, what is that visual image communicating to you? What is it saying? What is it calling you to be or to do? These are the desires of the eyes. Our flesh is fallen. It seeks to rebel against God. And when we expose ourselves and our minds to messages, visual or otherwise, that call us 
to gratify the desires of our flesh, which is to rebel against God, then ultimately we are loving the things of the world. And finally, he doesn't use the word desires in the third phrase. He uses the term pride, and some translations say the pride of life or the pride in possessions. And in fact, it is even more universal than that. It has to do with pride itself. It has to do with being in love with the things we have and the things we can do or the things we have done with our accomplishments, with our achievements. These are the things of the world. And these things capture us. We love them so. It is these things to which many people spend their lives. They cash in their time, their talent, their treasure, all for these things. So John exhorts us. He exhorts us by issuing a command. He exhorts us by clarifying the things that he's described here as part of this world. And finally, he exhorts us by drawing a contrast. And this contrast is really what this whole text is about. I want you to look at the three verses. Step back for a minute, look at the three verses, and I want you to see the contrasts that arise in each verse. In verse 15 is listed the love of the world. Do not love the world. But you'll also see the phrase love of the Father. You see that? That's a contrast. Love of the world, love of the Father. And by the way, I, just grammatically speaking, you may be wondering, what is the love of the world? What is the love of God? Here what we have is called a genitive construction. And in this genitive construction, it is an objective genitive construction, which means love for the world, love for the Father. It's one or the other. It cannot be both. It is never a little of this and a little of that. These are contrasting. And they are exposed in this passage. There are a lot of people who think that they can live with one foot gratifying themselves in the world. And one foot satisfying the will of God. But tragedy is, that's impossible. It cannot be done. One cannot love the world and love the Father at once. Look in verse 16. This love of the world and the things of the world comes from where? It comes from the world. The love for the Father? Where does it come? What's its origin? Well, it comes from the Father. The contrast 
is the origin. The things of this world, these are not from God. By things, I'm not talking about, again, the things of the natural order of this world. They are from God. They are his creation, and they are good. In no way is John making some kind of aesthetic argument here that we are not to love material things or not to engage with material things. Lord, Lord knows there are things in this world that ought to be loved. Beauty ought to be loved. The creation ought to be loved. And the reason they ought to be loved is because they are from the Father. But the things that come from this world, the perversion of those things that come from God, the decay, the evil, the rot, the selfishness, the sinfulness that we have committed, these things originate not with God but with the world. And they are in direct contrast one to another. And then finally, look at verse 17. The world passes away. But the one who obeys and remains or abides does so forever. This is an intended ending. He is about to move to a subject that is otherworldly. And so he ends this exhortation. He ends this, this digression by warning us that there are two ends. They are completely different. The end of the things of this world and this world's order is abolishment, destruction, the end of the person who lives to do the will of God is to abide forever. I'm glad John made this digression, but I am deeply affected. And we all should be deeply affected by what he says. Now, how do we walk away from this? Do we just say, oh, well, thanks for the warning? No. We make an examination. We do a balance sheet, if you would. We determine how we're spending our life, how we're spending our time, how we're spending our affection, how we're spending our money. Are the ways that we are spending our life Due to our supreme love for God. Or are they due to our supreme love for the world? It's a tough test. But it is one we must make. Because this life will be judged. We will all stand before Jesus at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word is bematos, the bema seat, if you would. And we will give an account of our deeds. What did we do with our life? How did we, how did we spend the time, the power, the energy, the gifts, 
the wealth that God has given us. You cannot love the world and love the Father at once. Let's pray.